My name is Gunner, and I play in a local Austin band called The Big Gun Show. I created this podcast to sit down with other songwriters, musicians, artists, and just lovers of music to talk about their top five records that have inspired their lives and musical prowess. Tonight, I'm speaking with Patrice Pike. She's been in Austin practically as long as I have. She was actually one of the people that inspired me to start chasing music. Well, tonight, she inspired me again. She said, let some episodes be longer than the 30, 40 minutes you originally thought. Um, I guess what I'm saying is that this one's going to be a little bit longer. But don't leave because the conversation I have with Patrice is nothing short of incredible. And we talk about how <clears throat> the records that she picked were all before she even turned 24. And how they are all her mother's fault. Mom was playing Stevie Wonder's songs in the key of life to her when she was three years old. I love how she says that Prince throws sexy love darts and that Stevie Wonder's voice is a kind of a fingerprint. There's one thing that I do want to mention. My band, The Big Gun Show, is playing after Patrice in two days on Thursday, February 6th. She hits the stage at 8 p.m. and we go on at 10. We've been tossing around some ideas for the show, so as your lawyer, I highly suggest you attend. Have you heard about Campfire Gathering? I'm the camp counselor, the camp director, whatever you'd like to call me. It's an adult summer camp featuring killer music, food, and vibes. It's going to take place on Monday through Wednesday between the two South by South weekends. In 19, excuse me, in 2020, that is March 16th, 17th, and 18th, it's going to be at Camp Lucy in Dripping Springs. Night one features a couple shows and dinner. Wake up the next day and choose between your favorite camp time activities. Want to do some yoga? How about some archery, axe throwing, fishing, winery tour? Take your pick. And after you're through with your activities, head over to the main hall and see acts such as Ray Wiley Hubbard, Deer Tick, Delta Spirit, among other big names. There are also going to be some chapel sessions with Nikki Lane as the headliner. I can't wait to see her. Love, love, love her. Camp Lucy has over 20 high-end rooms and is an has also an incredible restaurant. Uh, we're bringing in RVs and yurts, so there's going to be places for you to stay. Head over to www.campfiregathering.com. Get your tickets, get your lodging. It's going to be a hoot. Now let's get to the conversation. We're back on that desert island again. What five records do you have? Patrice Pike. Hello, Gunner. How's it going? Good. I understand you have top five records that you'd like to discuss tonight. Top, top five records you said that I would take to jail is what yeah, you told me. That's what I like. Yeah. I think jail's cooler than Desert Island, although it's a little bit more pleasant on the des Desert Island. Well, you'll probably expect me to say things like this, but at the risk of being predictable, I'll say... Uh, Mostly, probably, the incarcerated don't get to have turntables and records that are their favorites. So well, this I, is an analogy. I'm just okay. saying I want to acknowledge that, and it <laughs> blew my mind because I thought, those records will save my life. Yeah, no doubt. And so it, it took some time to think about it, is my point. Right on. So let's, let's get into it. So you have Songs of the Key of Life, Houses of the Holy by Zeppelin. Mm -hmm. You've also got uh, Don Juan's uh, Reckless Daughter, Reckless Daughter, uh, Prince's B sides or B hits and B sides, B hits and B sides, and then Miles Davis Blue. Uh, by the way, I went by, went through and I listened to all these, and good on you. I well, I, I kind of need to do that if I'm going to talk intelligently. Mm -hmm. uh, 
let's start with Miles Davis. Okay. Be- because I listened to that and I was like, whoa, that's that that is some serious stuff. And you're challenging me because as a lyricist, talking about this record is hard because there's so much to say about it musically, but you can't you can't pivot to the lyrics on this record, right? right? Yeah. So what I read about it was that they uh, that he basically brought in the musicians and just basically said, "Hey, listen, here is what you need to do," you know, and just kind of charted it out for him and didn't tell him anything else. And they came in and it wasn't a live take. Mm-hmm. I think one of them was a live take, mm-hmm. and the other ones were you know multiple takes but I just thought that was pretty cool and it was just so soothing to me Mm -hmm. so give it to me so one of the reasons why I picked this record is because I've noticed that in particular I picked all records that I had heard before I turned 24 and that was hard because I wanted to pick also some modern stuff Mm -hmm. but the reality is these are the records that I keep going back to and I thought if I was going to survive being an incarcerated person and have my best time doing it, that's what I would need, is to have records that I keep going back to. So in the case of Kind of Blue, which is the title, yep. um, it's a record that I play a lot when I'm on a plane, or when I'm by myself, and I need to really chill out, and mm-hmm. I want to just listen, and I don't want to hear anyone talking to me. And I talk a lot. So I'm a verbal person. Okay. So to dive deep into a record where there's no talking is really therapeutic for me. And on top of it, you have these incredible moments on the record. And I don't know which song you're referring to that was a one-take deal. I really want to know. Because you know something I don't know. And lots of people know things I don't know about this record. But, um, you know, just talking about the first song, you know, it's like, there's a thing in jazz called the head, which is like the melodic sort of hook. Mm -hmm. And jazz players call it the head and they know exactly what they're talking about. And it's like, you know, you hear the song like, so there's like a theme, right? right? In terms of language. And it's something that you know. So if you've never heard it before, it might blow your mind because it's like, I've never heard that before and I've never heard that that musical idea before. But if you've heard it before, it's like something you can sink into like a comfortable couch or like yep. somebody's embrace. And that's what I love about this record. Okay. What else? About Kind of Blue? Yeah. So the other thing I thought about since there's not lyrics like we talked about, is one thing I noticed, you know, jazz records like this have are titles, like Freeloadin' Freddy is the second yep. song on the record. And there's no lyrics. There's no, like, English story. And so what I noticed is I need that title in a way because it allows me to hear the melody and the playfulness and the just what's going on musically, and I make up a story, a visual story in my mind about who Freeload and Freddie is. Well, I'm sure they did that to get the title. Maybe so. I don't know. I've never, yeah, I've never had the like privilege to get to talk to Miles Davis, so I don't know what the hell they did. You weren't Betty Davis. <laughs> um, yes, you know, I've I've heard like a lot of like instrumental bands, you know, over the years, Vinyl, Grey Boy All Stars, mm-hmm. Galactic, sort of. Sure, yeah, but. 
you know, they come up with these names. And I'm always curious how they come up with the names. Mm. You know, I, I never know. I guess it's, I guess it's that. They, they paint that picture in their mind. Well, and we have bands that I know you and I mm-hmm. have in common that we love that have instrumental songs that yes. mostly their songs have lyrics, uh-huh. but they'll make up a name for a song. Yeah. And you know that they, I don't know, they probably smoked a joint or did whatever and they hung out together and they laughed and they played music Maybe about those ideas. Named it because it was silly or something. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. But you can talk about things like, you know, other artists that we don't get to get into tonight because it's five records. Five records. But that have incredible, like, also love songs. And you only know it's a love song because of the way it makes you feel. Yeah, I feel the song, for sure. Mm-hmm. No doubt. Yeah, no, I, I enjoyed the heck out of that. I actually listened to it twice. Sweet. Yeah, that was that was my favorite of your picks. Right on. Um, The one that I, I, I can't, I don't understand yet. Mm-hmm. Is Joni Mitchell. Okay. And I, I need you to turn me on to her because this is one of the best things about doing this podcast is I get seasoned musicians mm-hmm. that understand music and they have an album that I'm like, wait a second. I don't, people have said Towns Van Zandt. And the thing is about Towns Van Zandt is I understand that he's this epic songwriter, but I don't get it yet. Okay. I don't get it. Yeah. So. But the great thing is you want to. I do. I want to, I want to <laughs> understand Chris Christopherson better. I want to yeah. understand, uh, I mean, the, Guy Clark, I read his biography, but I, I still, I still don't get it yet. Yeah, well, I'll tell you a quick story about Joni Mitchell. That I would love to hear it. And my music partner for life will probably feel like I'm throwing him under the bus when I say this, but this is a perfect example of what you're talking about. He got Joan, he got Neil Young, Wayne Sutton, got Neil I Young. I figured that out. And I didn't, I didn't, because I was a singer. I loved his lyrics, but I, I just couldn't like love him. And he told me when we met, he didn't love Joni Mitchell. And I was like devastated. Can't do that. He loves Joni Mitchell almost more than anything now. And the thing is, it's that desire to understand it, right? That can make you because someone you love or admire or look up to or whatever loves something or someone you, you understand really well, but you, but they love something and you don't understand why they do. And it drives you crazy, right? Yep. So in the, in the case of Joni Mitchell, which one of her most famous songs is not on this record, A Case of You, which is one of the things that people play at their weddings and shit like that, right? Right. Um, Don Juan's Reckless Daughter is probably the record I've listened to more than any record ever made. And it's also one of the records, each of these records are, record, are records that my mom played to me when I was a kid. So... This is not one of Joni's earliest records, but it's the record that cracked my heart wide open okay. and blew my mind in terms of instrumentally. And each instrument comes out of this record like when you're watching a painting, you're looking at a painting and it comes alive. You've got Jaco Pastorius on bass, mm-hmm. and he's really like sort of, he's he's almost like the trickster muse um, MC of the record in a way like okay. he makes these statements melodically and he plays bass like no one ever had before right and so that can take you somewhere because I know you Gunner and yeah. I know you love players and I music do. and when they play their heart out and they pull your soul out of your chest right yeah so this song this record is really like incredible because it's both musically and lyrically impeccable to me 
Okay. Like, this is just me. Like it's not and about why is it impeccable? Um, well, I think that she had matured a lot as a storyteller, as a, a human being and a woman, and that her earlier records like Blue and Ladies of the Canyon and Court and Spark, which was a huge success commercially. Mm-hmm. Those records made it possible for her as she matured as a human being to dig deep and dive down into her intellect and to say what she means and to say as many words as she wanted to, even though that might not be a great hit song on the radio. And the stories that she tells, especially, I think the third song, I believe, is Jericho. And for me, it's like the song, like I... I I want to say to people, please don't play one of my songs at my memorial when I die. Like, play this song. Because Jericho is probably what I think is the best love song that's ever been written. And the reason it is is because it's not, baby, baby, I love you, I'll be with you forever, you're the most gorgeous thing I've ever seen. It says, I'll try to keep myself open up to you. That's a promise that I made to love when it was new. Just like Jericho, let the walls come tumbling down. I said it like I'd finally found a way to keep the good feelings alive. I said it like it was something to strive for. Okay. Got me? Yeah, no, I, I dig it, man. I, I, Holy crap. I need to, uh, I, I need to, because basically what I do when I listen to these albums, I sit right here on this couch and I put on these headphones and I listen to it, yeah. And I try, and I love doing that because I hear it with pans and stuff, especially when uh, I'm doing Dave Schur here, yeah, sooner than later. But uh, some of the stuff that he had was just like going back and forth, and so I get to hear that. You don't get that as much with Joni Mitchell, uh huh. But it's, I feel it's more about the song, mm-hmm. and the the whole song. It's not even. I don't, and I, I could be wrong here. I've only taken one listen to it, yeah, but. I feel it's more about the lyrics. Well, but if you listen, because I know that you love you love yep. instruments and you I love do. players. If you listen to what she's saying and the melodies she's singing, and she's also a phenomenal guitar player. She's playing all the guitar. Okay. Okay. Did you know that? I did not know that. I'm not gonna throw you under the bus, but a lot of times I have conversations, in particular with men who listen to records and they think that the person singing is a woman is just singing. They don't know that she's playing guitar or drums or that she programmed the entire record right. or is a phenomenal upright bass player. So I want to encourage you to remember that. I, I'm encouraged. <laughs> I, I never said that I, I didn't think she, she played guitar. And people that are Joni Mitchell fans know that she is both a pianist and a guitarist. So when you look at, listen to her records, all the piano and all the guitars, except for like Lyle Mays when he plays lead on her records or uh, really Pat Metheny actually yeah so she's had some of the best players who have ever lived on her records because she's also one of the best players they've ever met wow okay did not know that dig it I'm digging it now go watch Shadows and Light Shadows and Light because it's a live recording of her playing with these great players at the Greek theater at one of the peaks of her career and you will get it Okay, I will yeah. do that, I promise. Mm-hmm. What else do you have to say about Joni Mitchell? So in terms of Don Juan's, because there's so many, her body of work is huge. Right. Um, 
the, you know, there's like real quick stuff like talk to me basically is a woman saying, please talk to me, but she's not begging. It's like, it's with this commanding presence. It's like why she wants you to talk to her. Why talking to each other is important so that you can understand each other. So when did this record, when were you, when were you introduced to this record? Uh, I was probably five or six years old. So it's like a book you come back to and you read every five years and you get something new out of it because you know something more. Huh. All right. Also, it's interesting because the cover of the record, which may have been controversial at the time, but probably is more controversial now, is the artwork is her dressed as a black man. If someone doesn't know Joni's work and her friendships, they might judge her about that. But the fact is she was friends with um, one really notable substantial relationship was Mingus and one of her records is named Mingus there the thing is she had relationships with men and women of color who were phenomenal musicians and composers and they respected her work and they had authentic relationships so it's important to learn about people right yeah and you can't take things at face value and stereotype people that that was like some kind of kitschy thing that she did necessarily. I can't say that it wasn't. I don't know Joni and I've never talked to her, but those things informed me, right? And yeah. so many people growing up listening to her because she was so honest. If you, since you don't know much about Joni, like you'll find out that like Q-Tip quoted her and Prince is one of her biggest fans or was, you know, God yeah. rest him. So the interesting thing that you'll learn about Joni is she's respected around the world throughout different generations of all different genres of music. I think Q-Tip said something, and I can't quote him perfectly, but he was like, Joni doesn't tell a lie. Okay. And that mattered to him. Yeah, she's, um, she's, she's very of her time, I feel. You know, like when she was there, she was at the perfect time for that style of music, and that style of song mm-hmm. and to what you were saying about her lyrics like uh, talking about q-tip who's a lyricist right he's a mm-hmm. rapper a lyricist he's a culture maker it was important to him that Joni was like so unbelievably honest that she would take every risk to just tell the truth at the risk of not being a superstar So now she's a painter and has been for years and she doesn't paint because she says the music industry is looking for artists who will just like, you know, do whatever people want them to and wear what they want them to. And she's like, I've got no interest in that. How old is she now? I think she just turned 75. That's how old my mom is. Hmm. Right on. Okay, well... Uh, you've you've taught me quite a few things about Johnny Mitchell. That's and thanks I'm, for allowing me because I'm so passionate. Though, the about thing it. is though is that that's what I love about doing this podcast. Sure. Is that it, it? Not only does it make me, it makes me listen to new music, and these people that I, that I admire that I'm having, I'm asking, come come talk to me about your records. Yeah. Now I get to I get to. And then after I listen to it, I say I don't get it. You tell me your reason. I'm like, okay. Now I get to go back and listen to it and actually figure it out. Well, I think whoever the lucky 
person is that gets to ask you what your five are because it <laughs> tells me like that interview is going to be really interesting. And I feel bad that I'm getting to just like, I'm not trying to school you in any way. I'm just passionately telling I you what I you to know school me on all of these records. Sure. I don't, I only know so much. I, I can only spend so much time doing the research for this, but so. there you are sitting with Mick and Keith behind you in your space. And I'm uh, like, I want to know what's in Gunner's head and heart with music. Well, I'll tell you later. Okay, cool. I'll tell you here in just a second. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Anything else that you want to tell me about Joni? There's so much Teach. to say, but I feel like that's really like those things are so critical. You know, the the whole record is phenomenal. There's, you know, it, she's also Canadian, by the way. I don't know if you know that. I did and not know that. So when you listen to the song Paprika Plains, she tells a story about what it was like to experience as a little girl who loved indigenous culture and in Canada they call them first nations people. Okay. Um, there's been a lot more sort of coming to grips and acknowledging the suffering that white settlers caused the indigenous people of Canada, uh, compared to here in our country. And at that time in the seventies, she's telling the story in the song about watching, uh, what happened to the first nations people when they cut off their braids and, and, uh, you know, we're drinking their sorrows away, right? but not talking about it in a way of like, you know, that they're, that's terrible choices for them to make. It was really describing their grief from a little girl's point of view Yeah, because she admired them and, and loved their culture and was fascinated by it. And so it paints this really beautiful picture and it talks about paprika plains, which you see in beautiful paintings like Georgia O'Keeffe and other artists this colorful description right yeah, yeah, yeah. of feathers and drums and she says just a, I'd beat the drum like war when she was a little kid and that was her wanting to be them yeah and then she saw what was done to them and described it very well I'm Cherokee so there you I, go. Uh, I I relate to the to the at least the American Indians. So maybe you just need to listen to uh, Don Juan's Reckless Daughter when you can calm yourself and really listen to it from a really personal place. Yeah. That's what I need to do. For sure. I can do that. All right. So Stevie Wonder, Songs in the Key of Life. Ouch. I'm going to say this right now. that This is uh, the most popular album so far on the podcast. This was one of Plank's top uh-huh. five, and I can't wait to hear why this became your top five for starters, and then and why it became that way. Okay, first of all, I'm gonna say love you, Plank. <laughs> and Gunner told me that about you, and I was like, oh yeah, I totally believe that. We have that in common for sure. Um, so a lot of this is my mom's fault, or to her credit, I can't take credit for the fact that I love these records so much. It's that she played them to me over and over again, but also was playing them for herself. Like she wasn't even necessarily playing them for me. Right. Was she, was she telling you, Hey, listen, you got to listen to this. She was just listening to records, but she wasn't like, like I started listening to songs of the key of life when I was like three or four years old. Okay. Because it was in the house. Right. And I'm sure a lot of your friends that come in and have these conversations, they were exposed to something. Right. And it's like, they were infected by it in this incredible way yeah that's what this is for me all of these 
So with songs in the key of life, like I know I've looked at like calendars and coffee table books and all kinds of stuff where people will cite this as their number one record. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll take pictures of it naked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like this is my naked truth, you know, this is the record I love by this person that is my hero. But, you know, that's um, kind of, I kind of was saying that I cheated because this is like a double record, so it's hard to talk about it because there's so much. It's not cheating for double record. I think <laughs> it might be cheating for one of yours. <laughs> kind but, of. Yeah. But not because it's literally like it could not, it Joni Mitchell's Don Juan's and Stevie Wonder's song, Songs in the Key of Life, were are tied for first place, really. Because okay. they're the ones I've listened to the most and the earliest the ones longest. that I can remember. Okay, that's cool. Um, so talk to me. I've got my own story, but I've already said it in another podcast, so I won't say it this time. So um, I think that the thing that I can say most about, you know, Stevie, like I didn't actually – when I was going through these, I wanted, I told you earlier, I made some notes cause I wanted to make sure I said some things that were really true and meaningful yeah. for me. And I didn't, I can get wrapped up and anxious and not, and forget. But the thing I can say most about Stevie's, this record is I was talking about it actually with my manager and friend earlier. And, um, I was saying that when a record gets played to you when you're three or four years old and you're a child of the seventies, and the Vietnam War has just ended, and you're actually experiencing, like, parents think that when they're sitting in the living room watching the news, and you're playing with your Legos, or your, you know, whatever, uh, Lincoln Logs, that you are not watching the news with them, nor can you cognitively understand what the hell they're talking about, right? Got it. But we know, right, when we grow up, like, I understood some shit when I was four or five, six years old. There's just stuff that you learn if you're listening. Yeah. Right. Agreed. So with Stevie, he's teaching in his records. When it says songs in the key of life, this whole record is a collection of the story of what life is all about. And more intimately, what life was about for him and his experience and his community, but he didn't just talk about it from his perspective as a man of color, as a person who experiences the world in terms of sensory experiences differently because he doesn't, he mm-hmm. cannot see with his eyes. He feels in this extraordinary way. And for him to be able to talk, I think, about um, racial tensions the experience of, you know, he, he talks about, um, he's, there's a song called black man on mm-hmm. this record, you know, that we're talking about early seventies. He talks about recycling in the song, in the song, uh, Saturn. He's talking, the song Saturn is, you know, I'm yeah. going back to Saturn cause wow. there's clean air there and we put, we put everything back that we use like he's already talking about that stuff that we're still talking about now. And he talks about, you know, future paradise. Like he's talking about you and me and he gives a really intimate story about, you know, you and me thinking about a future paradise. Is that us? Like, is that what we're doing? We're right here right now. Yeah. And 
it's all happening right here, right now, basically. Yeah, yeah. You know, been wasting all our lives living in a future paradise. And it's like, is that, is that you? Is that me? Let's talk about it. And, or he'll, there's a song, uh, one of the most famous songs on the record is Isn't She Lovely? And you would think by reading the title, because there's so many love songs. Yeah, yeah. For so many decades. But he's talking about the birth of a child. Right. You know, isn't she lovely? Isn't she wonderful? I'm so happy. And when you when he says those things, you believe him. You can I feel like, you know, this lady told me once that of human voice and singers, different singers have their voice and the timbre. There it's like a, a, a fingerprint. That we have a print that is the sound of our voice. And he has that. It's unlike anyone else's voice. And I think that those vibrations and how that comes across and resonates in our bodies creates that experience of like, I'm listening to this person. I can hear them. It rings true. And the words that he's saying ring true. And then, of course, there's the music that's wrapping around it and is a vehicle for delivery. Yeah. For how you're feeling. Uh, I love that. That's I've never even heard that. But... um you know, it's kind of like there's certain vocals that you hear one note and you're like, okay, that's Willie yeah. Nelson. You know, hey, that's Mick Jagger. Yeah. Of course it is. Well, uh, then like Stevie. Yeah. You know, it's and then songs Steven like Tyler. Sir Duke, you know, Sir Duke is another very famous song. Extremely famous song. And sidebar, like we're talking about records that were made in a time where people listen to an entire record. And most people don't do that anymore. We, if you want to talk about the art of the album, I'm all, yeah. I'll, I can talk to you hours about I that. I know we can. I hope we get to sometime. <laughs> we'll do but another episode. With Sir Duke, that's a famous song. And, um, uh, and I Wish is also a famous song. But like with Sir Duke, you know me, I'm into you know vocalizing, singing. Yeah. Um, I'm, I scat. And I don't so much as much as I used to anymore, but that's been a major part of like my exploration in my career as a singer. And, uh, you know, the whole like horn section, you know, on a Stevie record going, you know, I wasn't perfectly in tune with every note, but I wasn't with you either. But the point is like that blew my mind. I was like a little kid, like a tiny kid with pigtails and tough skins riding my huffy bike, singing that to myself just the melody rolling down the street you know love horns yeah and like i learned how to sing not just from singers but from composers like stevie wonder who wrote a horn section or did it with his colleagues however that happened because i don't know the history of that particular horn line i love how you call him a composer he is i know you're right Right? he is he is i just never thought of him like that it's um yeah, I have a lot of admiration for him. Just, <laughs> I mean, the whole, I mean, Ray Charles, mm-hmm. Stevie Wonder, mm-hmm. both blind. They have to go just on sense of sound. Yeah. And emotion. Yeah. But you know that's the thing though is that there's got to be. 
I mean, you take one of those senses away, you take your sight away, then you have to you have to pull on other things to 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 grab those those ideas and those lyrics to to put into a song. Yeah. And I just I, I get chills when I start thinking about it because you know I'm I'm a songwriter too, and I just don't I don't I I don't have that ability to to shut off one. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? But you you probably do some. Like you probably close your eyes <clears throat> when you're playing music. <laughs> yes, I do. Oh yeah, yeah, I do. You for, do for sure, for sure. You're doing it, and you know, and I love. I but love you're privileged because you have your eyesight. You can choose, right? Yes, I do like to. I, but I love doing the songs where I make the whole thing up. It, it's just a story that comes into my mind. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to get the story, then you blah blah blah. You write it all down and. But that those are some of my favorite things. Like, is that is that is that about you? And I'm like, nope, not at all. <laughs> it's just, I just made it up. Uh huh. So sweet. What else about Stevie? Um, I think that you know one of the things about Stevie is not only is he a pianist, but I got you know kind of I've been told I haven't snopes these ideas or whatever uh, right. that Stevie also plays drums. I think. I think a lot of my favorite singer, songwriter, musicians also not only play a guitar, or piano, and sing, but they play drums too. And piano is a percussive instrument. Not everyone yeah. thinks of it that way, but it is. I do. You know, so it's it's very much percussion. And uh, so those are some of the things that I cherish about Stevie's talent and work. I think what Plank told me was that he is like a super multi-instrumentalist mm-hmm. and he plays guitar like awesome, awesome but he never plays it on the albums uh-huh something along those lines uh-huh. but i was like well, really i didn't i i always just thought doesn't surprise it, does it, it really surprise you though uh when you think about it no yeah no but yeah so i imagine he would want to touch every instrument because he can't see them yeah he can hear them and i bet when he would pick one up I would, I imagine him just like, that's his eyesight is hearing and feeling. Yeah. It just, I mean, it's the kind of person that you just wish you could just go hang out with. Totally. You yeah. Know? No doubt. I got to see him at the Grammys once. That was really cool. I bet it and was. I it was just like bucket list checked by accident. Check. <laughs> yeah. There's so many songs on this record, but you get, you get the picture. I do. Okay, let's talk about Prince. Okay, so Prince. Uh, I picked this, and I would never normally pick just out of probably pride more than anything. It's like saying a the box Eagles set greatest kind head. of, yeah. But the reality <laughs> is Prince is such, not that these other artists aren't, but he's such a prolific writer, and he had so many hits. And this is a record that's a little more modern in terms of when he started. Well, I mean, honestly, Prince started a lot earlier than a lot of people think. Agreed. In the 70s, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but he didn't really get, like, super famous until the 80s for the most part. Like, that's where he really hit his stride in terms okay. of fame. So this is just a great collection of songs that goes really, I mean, it's, it calls it like it is. It's hits and B-sides. So most of the time when you hear a record like you were just saying, Greatest Hits, this is not a Greatest Hits record. 
this is a mixture of some of his greatest hits that in a way tricks you into realizing when you listen to those greatest hits that they could have just as easily been deep cuts because they're so fucking good. Right. They're great. Yeah. But they were hits. But what I noticed because of you, because I went back and listened to it and thought about it from this perspective, I heard, oh, wow, this song, for instance, I know he wrote for someone else. Or he wrote it and then gave it to someone else because he's like, this is perfect for you. Right. And, or he would, you know, so he would write a song with Shaka Khan in mind or he would write it and then be like, this is for, this is more for her than for me and didn't even know it maybe when he was writing it. And so this record is full of this treasure of information like that. And then you've got songs like, you know, it starts off with When Doves Cry. Mm-hmm. And Purple Rain is like kind of somewhat people feel like it's a cheesy movie. It's awesome. Though. But it's full of incredible songs. And yeah, it's got, you know, what's her name saying, I know. Um, you, what do you dream of? And it's like that moment of a classic cult what's, movie. What's her name? Apollonia. Apollonia, that's it. But. You know, when you find out about when doves cry, or you hear, at least hear the myth, the yeah. the the mythology, I don't know if it's true or not. And he's talking about his parents, you know, in the movie or whatever. But just the basic idea of you know, it's a critical pop culture moment in a film, but it's also like an incredible analogy. You know, this is what it sounds like when the doves cry. This when we fight, right? Like, what's a dove? It's a symbol of peace. We're people of peace, but we're screaming, you know, we're, we're crying like doves, but yet our essence is peace. Why are we doing this? That's yeah. what I got from it. Okay. Whether that's what he meant or not, right? And that's one of the beautiful things about songs yep. is you can make up for yourself what you think it's about. And it might not be what they meant, but it brings new life into you. And brings you like wisdom based on these analogies, the poetry, you know, the the imagination that you have yourself that you're inspired to, you know, go into because the song is the catalyst for that. So you can get really deep with a song that some people just think is like a cool pop culture song that was really popular on this cheesy movie, Purple Rain. Well, or it just, the song itself the mood and the, and the timbre and the cadence, everything of the song totally. and the melody grabs you, and that's why you like it. Yeah, I mean, that's... I mean, that's, that's what I'm totally. most guilty of. I agree with you. Because, like, when you're hearing, like, you know... And you're walking away with that melody in your head. Yeah. After first listen. Dig, if you will, a picture. And it's so sexy. And that's a part of his you know, allure. It's like he pulls you into the story with his voice. It's so, it's so tempting and it draws you in, whether you're a man or a woman or whatever. And that was part of what his thing was about too. It's like, let's put all that aside. Right. And let's get passionate and talk about real shit. In the movie Gulliver's, Gulliver's Travels. Uh-huh. Did you, did you ever see that with Jack Black? I didn't actually. Jack no. Black is like telling this one little Lilliputian to talk to this this princess. Okay. And he's basically 
right behind this castle going, he's, he's basically telling her lyrics from Kiss. Okay. <laughs> so the song Kiss? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Well, and then it goes into I Feel For You. Like, yeah. we can't talk about all the songs, but af- sometime after that, I Feel For You. Um, and And these are songs that, like, have... There are guests on some of these songs that became stars. And there's moments like Let's Go Crazy in 1999 are anthemic songs of a generation, really, at that time. Like, we were thinking about the turn of the century before it happened, partly because of this song. And we were thinking, we're going to party like it's 1999 because we don't know what the hell is going to happen after this. Y2K. You know, and... uh, and then one of my favorite songs, I've got a lot on this record, but Nothing Compares to You was obviously, you know, given to Sinead O'Connor. Mm-hmm. And she broke it and sang it in a way that Prince, that was not, like she made it her own. I don't know, honestly, if he was involved in the production of her performance of that song. But I got to tour with Sinead on the Lilith Fair years okay. ago. And I got to talk to her about Prince and we got to hang out and, you know, in our, with our band mates and friends and everything. And, uh, she was, she, she's also a truth teller. She's like, uh, yeah, I don't want to listen to Jamiroquai when I could listen to Stevie Wonder. I'm like, ouch, Jamiroquai is pretty cool, but I hear you, you know, but you know, she, she did this song, which was for this whole probably very different generation culture like that she had a shaved head she's wearing mm-hmm. kind of gothy clothes and she's singing this heartbreaking song but not in a soul music style so when you listen to prince's version of the song with rosie gaines who's phenomenal yeah. and it's a duet on this record that's one of my favorite Prince performances ever with her, with Rosie Gaines. Huh. It's gorgeous. And I believed it equally when I heard Sinead sing it. I believed her feeling it and singing it as if she was talking, singing into the ear of her lover who she misses. And then Prince does it in this completely other way that's, you know, more uniquely Prince. And both are pheno- incredible. Both versions are awesome. In my opinion, that's that's what's so wonderful about a song, mm-hmm. is that it can be taken and reproduced in a different manner or a different style, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And it's just it, it, people will feel the song differently than other people, like it's left and right hand. Doesn't matter, you know. Mm-hmm. You're gonna interpret my song differently than I interpret your song. Yeah. Same thing, and then I'm always going to play it different than you would. So play. we should do that sometime. I, I'm down. <laughs> Actually, uh, I've got something to talk to you about. Okay. Saxon Pub. We're, we're playing after you in in February. So maybe we should do that. Look, that'd be I'm, so I'm interesting. In. I'm in. Okay. That'd be fun. Yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. We'll talk. Okay. Um, okay. So um, yes, Prince AJ. Just in case you didn't know, AJ Vallejo. Of course. Idolizes I know. Prince. Yes. I won't tell stories now, but um, anything else you want to talk to me about Prince? Because he's, this this guy. I'm going to keep it with this record, okay? Because there's so many records that I love, and I don't want to give the impression that, like, I I am an album-oriented person. As am I. Like, that's my tradition. Mm -hmm. 
but this touches on so many things. So like, you know, adore. Um, I mean, to me, I wrote down the note. It's an amazing crooning love song, but with a Prince production treatment. Like there it is go. crooning in the least cheesy way. Like it is this love song and the lyrics are so important. I mean, he is so great at putting words to the feelings of utter passion and devotion. You know, when he says, until the end of time, I'll be there for you. You are my heart and mind. Or you own my heart and mind, actually. Okay. Like, I believe him when he's singing that, right? And that's... Until the end of time. Even though we know, God rest his soul, mm -hmm. that Prince had many lovers. It's hard to keep a relationship together when you're a professional musician and you're traveling and you're everything that you are. Yeah. I'll leave it at that. Yeah. But I think when he wrote that song, at felt least it. it felt to me like he meant it at that point in time at that moment until the end of time but that's what's supposed to happen right yeah it, it if you write a song you can't make people feel the, the passion that you're feeling then you, you didn't really accomplish your goal yeah and I think I think that's the thing about Prince like I don't want it to to allow like deconstructing Prince to make me not believe in love it's like I think that Prince was able to express these deep, passionate feelings of love and also introduce at a time that was very controversial some of the things he said about sexuality, about gender, about, you know, Erotic City was like, there was no one that was not surprised by that song, I promise you. That was incredible like I can't even like I'm stumbling over my words right now because the words I want to say you probably would have to cut out of this podcast no <laughs> you know it's like that is ultimate it's like you're listening to people making love in the most erotic way you can think of and that's the song that he's creating you know yeah I mean when he says I just want your creamy thighs it's like he means it yeah. and you visualize it and it takes you to this place where at that time, especially we weren't really allowed to go. I know that now, even now when erotic city comes on in a club, you can turn your eyes and your head around and look at the whole place and everyone's mood changes yeah. and everyone's faces either, you know, blush you can see almost that they're salivating. Like there is a, a physical response to the song. And that's rare. Because so much about like people worrying about what's okay or what'll be played or what'll get censored or whatever. And I think Prince was at this time of, you know, a lot of talk about censorship and protecting the ears of young humans and stuff like that. It's like there's so much denial around what, young human beings are experiencing like grown-ups want to repress it and hold it back and 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 freeze time because they're afraid of what their kids are going to go through 
But it doesn't stop what we're experiencing at that time. Agreed. So that's how I felt when that came out. Well, um, I'm loving, number one, I'm loving the fact that you actually took notes and came over here. I think that's awesome. (laughs) I I really do appreciate that. I mean, you you actually spent some time thinking about this. I was pulling my hair out thinking I could go in there and we could chit chat and I could say things and I could not say the things that are really important to me. So. Yeah, I'm also a nerd and I'm a note taker, so there you are. Everyone knows it now. <laughs> well, if you saw my handwriting right here, then you, you would agree. You would say you might be a note taker, but you can't read it. Um, yeah, he's he's phenomenal. I, I love him. AJ's was uh, Purple Rain. Anyway, his okay. favorite. His favorite of Prince's well, records. Yes, I can wow. tell you all of his if you'd like me to. I will want to know that. Um, well, that leaves us. Unless you have anything else you want to talk about Prince. I have three more pages of notes about Prince, but we don't have time right now to get into that. We've got plenty of time if there's something you want to say. I can just say really quickly, if you're, so, since we're talking about notes, Sign of the Times, amazing story. Uh, the thing about Sign of the Times for me is it's lyrically right there with Bob Dylan mm-hmm. in the sense okay. that he is telling the story and he's saying a lot of words. And immediately I was like, Bob Dylan is this person that's really known for an incredible packing an incredible amount of lyrics into a song to give you the detail like a novelist of a story. And I feel like Sign of the Times kind of does that or definitely does that, but in a way that has this groove okay. and still has the pocket of a soul song. And that's amazing. That f- to be able to, to to do that, you're not that folk singer that's just going to sing words, right? Yeah, and he's he's singing about like life situations that are hard at the top of the song. Like that's something that Dylan did, and in fact, you know, some would argue that Dylan borrowed from a lot of the best, and he was borrowing from, you know, Woody and different people who were prolific lyricists. You know, he had Patti Smith he was a fan of. If you look at, you know, I'm trying to remember the name of that movie, but it's like Thunder something. But it's a Bob Dylan movie documentary. Uh, Incredible. Incredible. And you see him interacting with all of these different artists, you know, that undeniably must have influenced him on some level. Uh, Seven, to me, is like kind of a spiritual gospel Prince work of art. Um, controversy to me is like really uniquely Prince. Like in when you're listening to that song, it's like there's no one else that's him is how I feel when I'm hearing that song. Um, I Want to Be Your Lover is, you know, this classic and universal um, example of his songwriting prowess because it's, it's pop. It's very pop. But... He's singing in this like, you know, he's, uh, it's falsetto. It's Prince falsetto. I want to be your yeah. lover. And it's very staccato. It's like he drives points with his staccato, like m- just messaging. Like he's, he's, he's throwing these sexy love darts at you. Ooh, I want to be the only one that makes you go running. You know, and he just stops and there's space in between the words. And it's like he gives you a moment between the spaces to think about 
this mm, mm, sexy yeah. love dart that he's throwing at you, right? <laughs> that's a great lyric right there. Well, that's a great band name. Okay. Sexy love dart. Okay, yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> um, you take it. Uh, do me, baby. Uh, what do you? What more do you have to say about that? You know. Mm-hmm. But that's another example of that sort of phrasing style. Okay. You know. You know, like I never done before. And there's that space. And you have a minute to think. You have a minute to think about doing someone like you've never done before because there's a moment there's of rest. For you. Yeah. You know? Nothing like the rest. So Little Red Corvette, I got to see that. I've, I saw Prince just like five times when he was living. And... uh I think there are maybe only four other artists that I've seen that many times. And uh, I got to see him in the venue in Memphis that's no longer a music venue that's shaped like a pyramid. It's like a glass pyramid. That's right on the river. Okay. And it was the night after Ray Charles died, I believe. And... Uh, he did Little Red Corvette in the round acoustic on a bar stool. By himself? To an entire arena. Mm. Just with an acoustic guitar and his feet on a bar stool sitting. And that was something I'll never forget. Because it was like you were in his living room, even though there were thousands of people in the space. Right. And he was singing right to you. I've seen I, I've seen G Love do that with mm-hmm. Baby Got Sauce, mm-hmm. uh, and you know at the time I wanted to hear the whole band do it, and then I was like, oh, the funky drums and like, everything, yeah. This is like really cool this way. Uh huh. And um, you know, a lot of people out there don't appreciate that. Uh huh. But a lot of people, uh, not as many people, will like love that and cherish it more than anything else. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is a night that Ray Charles had passed and Maceo Parker was on the road with him playing sax with his full band. But that's part of what was incredible is they broke it all down for like three or four songs and everyone left the stage with him right in the center. But it wasn't like you're watching him on television. He was, they turned on the lights in the venue and he was talking to everyone. Awesome. That's phenomenal. You know, Sexy Motherfucker, Purple Rain, Erotic City, we talked about that. Okay, so my number one song probably on this record is How Come You Don't Call Me Anymore. Have you heard that? Did you get through it? It's a long record. I I, I couldn't get through the whole thing. But Promise me you will listen to that song. What's it called again? Uh, How Come You Don't Call Me Anymore. Talk to me. So he says... I keep your picture beside my bed. I still remember the things you said. I always thought our love was so right. I guess I was wrong. So that sounds like any teenager could have written those lyrics when I read them to you, right? Wait till you hear him sing it. Okay. And then the chorus is, you know, how come? Don't call me anymore, and that's just like piano. It's awesome. Everybody, go listen to it now. 
Okay, so let's talk about Led Zeppelin. Let's. Let's do talk about it. So I'm going to say this. I knew you were going to pick this one. How'd you know? Because I've seen you play since 1990. And you were playing Ocean yes. since then. And then, of course, I knew that had to be. I, I was like, please, please, please. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I, I was right. Um, so guess what? We also did Dancing Days at some point. I do remember that too. Yeah, but it's uh, the only record that two songs you guys have played. We've played, and also we don't do a lot of covers ever, tributes, hardly ever. So to say that we did two off of one same record of a band is kind of crazy. It's it's pretty awesome if you ask me. So. Yes, I, and I, I, I'll give you a little insight into me. I love it when you guys play Ocean. I just, I love that. It's like when I see Rosie Flores play, uh, what is it, by uh, Traffic. Um, I haven't seen her do it. You'll have to tell me. Uh, I'll tell you, I'll talk about it later, but it's, okay. it's awesome. You know, you get those classic songs, and they do them so well, because mm -hmm. Wayne just kills it on the guitar on that song. Mm-hmm. Well. So, anyway, I don't want to talk about that. I'm going to talk about you. Okay, so me and my love for Houses of the Holy, or what? Is this another uh, another album that your mom turned you on to? Yeah, so the thing about my mom is she was married to my stepfather, who was a guitar player. Okay. So a giant part of their record collection in their 20s was, and early 30s, was great guitar albums which of course jimmy page mm -hmm. and uh led zeppelin being a, a super i mean you can't just call it a guitar driven band because i'm such a huge fan of john bonham and who's not actually everyone in the band so you uh my mom was really into rock and roll and um I think we had every Led Zeppelin record that there was. In fact, my mom called me the other day and asked me to give her a Christmas list, which she still does. <laughs> and I love you, Mom, for that. Thank you so much. Um, and all I could say to her was, I'm just going to send you three records that I want you to buy for me that we don't have anymore. You know, because right. those records are like really sorely missed. And she yeah. was delighted when I told her, I just want you to buy me some records. Because so it awesome. goes way back, you know, to what we love um, and what, what she, were those records? how she made me. What were those records? Um, I actually didn't pick them yet. Oh, okay. I'm supposed to tell her by tomorrow. I'm kind of probably in hot water because I haven't told her yet. But, yeah. you know, luckily we live in a town where we actually have some record stores. Does she live here? So I'm not too sweating it. I'm not sweating it. Yeah, okay. she lives here. Oh, okay. That's easy. So, of course, Houses of the Holy... That song is not on this record. Correct. Which is such a cool thing. It's one of the things I love about these crazy bands yeah. that are now called classic rock that were once modern rock. Yeah. You know, first generation, you know, know heavy rock. rock and roll. You know. So the record starts out with song remains the same. And one of the coolest things about this record that we don't get to hear very much anymore is that it's a giant instrumental at the top of the song yes you know? yes 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 because these days it's like oh my god can you just have an intro that's only like not more than four bars please 
Yeah. And that drives a lot of us musicians crazy. Because I agree. Uh, or songwriters. We want to play. Yeah. Well, some not things. only that, but it's like I want the song to sound to develop. Specific, right? Yes. Yeah. And you can't you can't always start with the chorus. No. So this record starts out with quite a bit of uh, instrumental um, amazingness. And then the thing about the song, too, is it changes feel, right? It does. So, you know, it, you're going through this, like, really up-tempo intro, and then all of a sudden, don't you, I had a dream. And then you're, and, and it feels like you're having a dream because it changes feels, and it's yeah. like everything opens up. And, uh, you know, he's, when he says, uh, everything I wanted to know, and it's like, oh, my God. If Robert I Plant. could have a dream that told me everything I wanted to know, yeah, that would be amazing. Love how insightful you are into the lyrics. And, and yet, also, it's like, the thing about this record, too, is there are different songs on this record where you can hear different, Approaches by Robert Plant. Mm -hmm. And of course, we're so fortunate because he's still singing today. He's still writing Agreed. songs. He's still playing his ass off with incredible players. We got to have Robert living here in town and, um, you know, be a part of our community, which is really cool. And, uh, you know, it, it goes into the rain song. I think what I thought... I wanted to share about the rain song is this is probably the primary reason why I listen to this record over and over again, for sure. Really? Well, and I have Led Zeppelin one, Led Zeppelin two. I have all Me of too. them. I listened to all of them, but it actually was news to me because I was processing this stuff so I could talk to you about it. Right. That I realized rain song is why I listen to this record so much, not the ocean. Huh? Okay. Even though we haven't covered it cause it's not an easy task. I to it. cover this song, the rain song. Um, I uh, I love that this song, like it's one of the more epic songs on the record, and I think I love it that it's both tender because you've got the whole. It's super. Know, it tender. sounds like rain. Yeah. You know, it's very symphonic. They did a lot of stuff. Right? But then like later in the song, it's fierce. Rocks. It totally yep. rocks your face off. And he's, But he's still singing in this really almost classical way. Um, and then his voice will get really intense and raw. Mm -hmm. and, and it just builds throughout the whole song. And then... It goes back into like it climaxes and then it goes back into something that doesn't sound anything like that. Right. <laughs> um, it's, it's a really great example. I think you would have to play a song like this to someone. If, if you could play one song to someone and you only had one song you could play to them, to describe to them Led Zeppelin. Like you're talking to someone and you're going to die. This is like your whole go to jail with five records thing. Yeah. You're talking to someone, you're going to die, and your mission 
your last mission in life is to describe and communicate what Led Zeppelin is. You can't just play Dire Maker or Communication Breakdown. You need to play something like the Rain Song because it's all there. That's fair. Okay. So that's that's my argument. That's my okay. plea. Well, we'll talk about the Stones another day. <laughs> I want to. I told you. <laughs> I, I, I'm not allowed to talk about six records, only five. I, I told Mike G. I was, he was like, I love the Stones. I said, okay, we're, we're going to do a top three Stones Oh, good. Podcast. Okay, good. Yeah. Well, you already know what my top number one is. So I do. You'll have to wait and find out, listeners. <laughs> um, yeah, the Crunch. Uh, this is a place where, you know, this is just, just completely balls to the wall, John Bonham. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. Um, and when I hear the crunch, I think that's, I want to be that drummer. You know, I'm a, I'm a hack drummer. As I, I want to play drums all day, every day. And I don't get to, cause we live in this world where we're all doing all this shit and we're always, we're trying to like live and support ourselves and our families and all that. So I don't get to sit and play drums for eight hours a day. But if I did, I would probably emulate John Bonham. So your favorite drummer? I mean, he's just, I feel like he's got so much going on. He's not just a rock drummer. I mean, he's got so many feels. I've got a ton of favorite drummers. And they're not all rock drummers, but I feel like he's got his bag of tricks is so diverse and his pocket is so deep. It's funky. It's soulful. It's rocking. His kick drum is just like. So the kick loud. drum of God. <laughs> right. Um, and then dancing days grooves really hard. I love that song. I love the lyrics. I got my flower. I've got my power. I've got a woman who knows. Um, and then there's Dire Maker. So Dire Maker, when you start listening to it, it reminded me of Bob Marley actually influenced a lot of British rock bands. And I, I can't say that Bob Marley necessarily influenced Dire Maker, but when you hear, you know, a skanky kind of rhythm, check, check, you know, yeah. it's like, hey, is that Bob Eric or is that Clapton reggae? was hip to... I'm sorry. Is that Bob or, or just reggae? Well, I don't know, but I know that Bob Marley like had a huge impact on a lot of British rock bands. And Peter Tosh. You can say that Bob Marley and Peter Tosh were the gods of Fair enough. Reggae. So like that rippled out into many, many rock, reggae bands. Not to devalue other reggae bands and reggae artists to say that it was all really about Bob and they were just emulating that. But I'm just saying he was critical. And he was also, I think, I think because of the time, it was such a time of, of civil rights and human rights and social justice yep. and political upheaval. Um, you know, I was reminded by this by my friend, like I was mentioning earlier, talking to my manager, who's such a good friend of mine. And I was telling him we were doing this. And he was, I mean, the first thing he said was Bob Marley. And that blew my mind because I did right. not expect that to come out of his mouth. But he was talking about the change you know, essentially saving a country, pulling a nation together of people and delivering a message. And I think that did resonate, you know, to rock bands because 
you can watch documentaries with Eric Clapton, like uh, Life in 12 Bars and some other documentaries where, you know, that they talk about that they were listening as privileged white people in, you know, Great Britain. They were watching what was happening. They had their own history of monarchies and upheaval and war and bullshit, you know. And they were rooting for everyone. So I think when those sounds are borrowed, they were kind of tipping their hats to the movements around the world that were changing. And what I love about what you just said a second ago was that your manager says, hey, listen, you're doing this podcast about records? Bob Marley. He's got his own reason why he wants to pick that. And that Totally. The thing I love about this is that everybody has different reasons why they pick them. I just love that. Yeah. And the funny thing is, like, not to get off the topic of, of records, the five records, but, you know, when I was, literally, I was four years old in my step, mother my step-grandmother's Cadillac she had a pink Cadillac okay it was covered in plastic the seats and there was a <laughs> old school radio and I didn't hear Bob Marley first I heard Eric Clapton singing I shot the sheriff right. and I was four and I was like whoa this guy's talking about shooting a cop yeah, I'm four years old, and I'm thinking about the gravity of that. Like, I understood that there were serious consequences about that. And it wasn't until later in life, you know, that I found out who had written that song. Got it. Right? Yeah. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Bob Marley wrote that song. Of course he did. And, you know, that's an example of what we're talking about, that those, that Bob Marley and other artists influenced British rock bands on a very serious level. And I think it had a lot to do with what resonated with them as allies coming from a country who had colonized the planet mm -hmm. and taken away the rights and taken advantage of people around the world who were not in a, in, in the same position of power because they had been manipulated and, uh, you know, sold off by their own governments. Big. Yeah. Whoa. One of the things you have not mentioned about this album yet is song number three, which was probably the song that made me love Led Zeppelin the most when I first started listening to music. Will you tell me? I want to hear it from you. Over the Hills and Far Away. Yeah. So tell me what you love about I, it. I just, I love the intro. I love everything. It's just a, it, the way it makes me feel. I can't even tell you what the song's about. Uh-huh. I can tell you what, the way it makes me feel. How does it make you feel? It makes me feel empowered. It makes me feel like this is beautiful. I'm just, I'm so awesome. Uh-huh. And it's just the, the whole buildup and everything, the way it comes in with the electric guitars, that's, that that is probably, if I was to say, you want to get into Led Zeppelin? Here, check this out. Okay. Well, and just to be fair, like, I, I sat down and thought about how much time we really have, which is way less than what we're actually talking right now. Correct. You know, how much we're talking. And uh, I had to skip around. So since we're talking about it, like no quarter. No quarter is incredible. Yes, it is. I mean, it's 
psychedelic in a different way mm-hmm. than typical psychedelia kind of, you know. I don't even know if I said that right. It's probably having a flashback while I was Actually, saying it. Try to psychedelia. use a word. Um, podcastees. <sighs> Is that a word? Podcasty. I don't know. I've never it's heard like it before. An interviewee. I just made it up. I okay, guess. podcastees. <laughs> um, but yeah, the ocean was talk more, to me about the ocean more poppy but i gotta stick with no quarter so no quarter is this epic song where you want to have candles lit everywhere and you want to just completely let go and it's telling a story it is and there's so much deep history in that part of the world in you know in the uk well, just with the the term no quarter, right? Yeah, it's like that's like it's like it's a battle call. Yeah, I mean they they did. I don't know if Robert wrote all the lyrics all the time. I know that he and uh, everyone in the band probably contributed, but Jimmy Page for sure. They probably talked about these things, but you know, just some of the Viking stuff in their lyrics too is yeah. Tolkien, like there were authors that inspired them. There was history that inspired them. And, uh, you know, some of that to some people seems really cheesy right now, but, um, I think that, I think that a lot of songwriting at certain times over the years has been really dumbed down of the fear of just like going to your your place of like wonder, like a kid, yeah, and writing about what fascinates you. Misty Mountains, uh, yeah, I totally yeah, get it. right. You know, and like, so that's what I'm thinking of. You know, when you're talking about over the hills and far away. By the way, favorite book of all times, The Hobbit. Okay, do you have like a copy of it on its own, just like? I I think I have like three or four of them. So you'd love my mom because she gave me a copy of that a few years ago. And first she turned book, me on first to book all I really ever read. And my best friend's mom was like, "Okay, so you're reading the Hobbit. Who's your favorite dwarf?" I was like, uh, "I don't. I, I didn't think about it, but it was great to have somebody else come up to you and challenge you. Yeah. Say, hey, you know, you just read that. What? Who's your favorite?" So, did you ever see the animated movie? I did. When you were a kid. Yes. You did. Mm-hmm. So, did you get the soundtrack? No. I have it <laughs> on vinyl. Okay. I'm just saying, I'm going to share it with you. I, I, that's all, I, I definitely want to hear it. But right now, I want to hear about where people can find you online. Okay. So the best way for people to find me online that's helpful right now is that our new project is called Pike and Sutton. So pikeandsutton.com. New record coming out in March or early April of 2020. Nice. With my partner Wayne Sutton and our bandmates. And, of course, you can always look up my name, Patrice Pike, with all the bands that Wayne and I have made and other bands that I've made. Do you want to talk about history of bands? Talk about Little Sister Little Sister, Sister Seven. You know, actually, I thought about Daryl a lot while I was listening to these records because I I love his bass playing so much, and I miss us playing together. And uh, especially on some of the print stuff, like there's some moments yeah, of bass that sure. are like just completely reminded me of him and I love him and miss him. And, uh, so yeah, you can look up little sister. It's harder to find. Um, of course it is. That's it's very hard to find. It's out of print. Cassette that I saw. Yeah. Everything, everything's out of print for the most part. 
Um, but Sister Seven's out there and Patrice Pike and the what Black Box social? Rebellion. Uh, you can find Patrice Pike Band on Facebook, Pike and Sutton on Facebook. Is it Pike Sister and Seven. with the word and? Pike okay. and full spelling, A-N-D. Sutton, S-U-T-T-O-N. Insta? Uh, yeah, we're everywhere all on okay. all that stuff, yeah. I saw Daryl probably like four years ago mm-hmm. in Wichita. No way. I walked in this bar called Barley Corns, and uh, what was it? Uh, Greg Almond's son was playing, and mm-hmm. uh, he was playing with the, um, the Royal Brotherhood. Yeah. And I was like, hey, Daryl. And he was like, what are you doing here? Yeah. <laughs> so, <it came laughs> so crazy when you run into friends yeah. in a town like that. Yeah, it's a small bar. Well, thank you for having me. Hey, listen, thank you for coming out. Thank you so much for taking notes and taking this super serious. I so appreciate that. You don't even know. You you, kind of took me back a little bit. So (laughs) anyway, thanks so much. It was fun. I loved it. It was. All right. Keep rocking. Okay. Bye-bye. I just love Patrice and how insightful she is to the songs and albums that she chose and how she interprets them. Get out there and see her play with her bands, Patrice Pike and Pike and Sutton. If you've got the gumption, head over to TheBigGunShow.com. That's TheBigGunShow.com. And check out what my band is up to these days. You can also catch us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, all with the handle of TheBigGunShowBand, the and band on the end. I'll be back in two weeks. And then every other week after that, close your eyes. You're on that desert island again. What five records do you have? Till next time.